Thank you, Quartet. Some of the people I've been keeping in my hearts as of late have been our 2020 graduates. I've been thinking about you all a lot. Now, I realize that our graduates are maybe the least likely people to be watching this live stream right now. But maybe there's a couple of you out there awake, and, or nearby at least. I know this has been a disappointing season for many families who've had graduates this year because of so many important traditions that have had to be canceled or changed. But for the past several days, I've teared up at a number of amazingly creative ways that schools have honored and recognized the graduates. Class photos taken one person at a time over a seven-hour period and then photoshopped together to make it look like everyone was there at the same time. Graduations scheduled out over three or four days so that each family could watch their student walk across the stage and receive their diploma in person. The list goes on and on. When I was in high school, one of the traditions that at the end of our senior year was the senior breakfast. The whole senior class gathered on a school day in a large hotel belt, um, ballroom for a breakfast hosted by our class officers. During the breakfast, they would announce the voting results for the class gift to the school, what we were going to buy and leave behind. The class awards like best dressed and most likely to succeed. They'd give out some thank you gifts to our faculty advisors, to our senior class counselors. But one of the most entertaining traditions was the senior class prophecies. It was an opportunity for your fellow classmates to predict what your future might look like. And they were usually funny. It wasn't meant to be taken seriously. That wasn't the point. Oftentimes, the prophecies were inside jokes that only you or your group of friends would understand and find funny. But some were just funny to everyone, like this one. In 10 years, Sarah Thompson's best friend will continue to be her full-length mirror. So as you were sitting there, you really kind of hoped that your name wouldn't be called. I honestly thought that most of my friends would have failed to submit anything at all, and I would avoid being called out. But then it, hap it happened, a whole string of them all starting with my name. The one I remember the best went like this. Kevin Presley will sue the Encyclopedia Britannica in federal court, claiming that they are not the only ones who know everything. It got a huge laugh, even some applause, and it only took me about three seconds to figure out which of my friends had written it based on the beaming look on his face. He was so proud of himself. I've also been thinking about commencement speeches as of late, and this is where, in my youth, I actually got something wrong. See, based on the way we use the word commencement, I had just always assumed from the context that it meant the end of something. That commencement and graduation meant the same thing, celebrating the end of high school or college. So a commencement speech would be celebrating everything that came before that moment. But the word commence actually means to begin. A commencement celebrates the start of something new, a new chapter, the beginning of your professional life, moving on to new opportunities. I'm sure we've all heard at least a few high school commencement speeches in our lives. They tend to all include certain cliche phrases like, we've all been through some amazing times together. 
Everyone here has such amazing potential. The future is so bright. Or if I could offer just one piece of advice, it would be to follow your passion. Or don't be afraid to fail. And of course, my favorite that was actually spoken at my high school graduation by one of my friends, no less. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Alice McKenzie is a professor preaching in the seminary at Southern Methodist where I attended. And as you can imagine, in her tenure as a professor, she's attended many graduations and endured many commencement speeches. But something she wrote surprised me. She said, I've heard commencement speeches by senators, presidential librarians, first ladies, professors, and university presidents. And I must say that some have been quite engaging and that there has been something useful and helpful in all of them. But she goes on to say she gets a little depressed during a really good speech because she finds herself thinking, where were you 30 years ago when this information would have been more helpful to me? And wondering, maybe all this good advice is wasted on the young who aren't quite in a place in their lives where they're ready to hear it yet. What about us? Are we at a place in our lives to hear John's words as they come from the Gospel of John? Today's passage that Linda read and the portion that Wade read last week from John 14 come from what is known by biblical scholars as the farewell discourse. It's Jesus' last address to his disciples before he sends them out to do what he's been training them to do. If you think about it, this is Jesus' commencement speech. Now, last week we heard words like, do not let your hearts be troubled, and I'm going forth to prepare a place for you, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. But this week, the speech begins like this. If you love me, if you really love me, you'll do what I've asked you to do. Jesus even flips it around a few verses later like this. If you do what I've asked you to do, if you keep my commandments, then I'll know that you love me. There's no mistaking what Jesus is saying here, but doesn't it kind of sound like some threat we might give to our spouse or our children? If you really want to show me that you love me, you will change the baby's diaper. Or, I guess you must not love daddy very much if you are not willing to pick up all those toys. I feel like most of us have said something like that at some point in our relationships. But we've got to consider the situation that Jesus and his disciples are in. Jesus is giving his wrap-up, his closing arguments, and I think ultimately Jesus just wants to know the answer to one question. Will you still love me when I'm gone? Can you keep me in my heart, in your hearts? Can you? Will you continue to live out what I've taught you once I'm no longer around? Because if you do love me, you've got some work to do. Love God, love neighbor, love self. Somewhere along the way, Jesus' disciples must have taken his words to heart. They must have done what he said. Otherwise, well, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Now, because I'm a musician, I, too, have been to a lot of graduations. 
See, the musicians, the band, the orchestra, the singers are often the ones present at every graduation to, provi to provide the soundtrack, the musical score, to enliven what might otherwise be a somewhat dreary ceremony. I've counted it up in my head, and I know for sure that from high school through seminary, I was a musician in 11 graduation ceremonies, 11 in a row. And that's not counting all the other graduations, my sons, my brothers, my nieces, and my nephews and cousins, where I just sat out in the crowd as an invited guest. So maybe 25, 30 graduations in total. I can't say I remember any of the speeches. And maybe one or two of the speakers themselves could I even call by name. But what I do remember is the ceremony, the place, the feeling, people fanning themselves with their programs doing, due to the heat from too many people gathered in one place, the seemingly endless loop of the band playing Elgar's pomp and circumstance slightly out of tune as the graduates process into their seats, and the amount of time it takes to read all those names as the diplomas are rewarded, and looking in the program and thinking, we're only to the H's? Really? I remember something else, too. In college at the end of the year, after finals were over and everyone else had moved out of the dorms and headed for home, the only people still on campus were the musicians. Those of us who had had to extend our stay in order to provide the music for baccalaureate and commencement. And for those two or three days after most everyone else had gone home, the campus always felt so different. The sidewalks that were built too narrow to hold everyone between classes were now deserted. The once n noisy dorms with slamming doors and cranked up stereos, finally quiet. The cafeteria now feeling more like a private dining room for just me and my friends. I'm not going to lie, I kind of looked forward to having that time and that place just to hang out with my friends. No schoolwork to worry about, no deadlines, just community. People who loved one another sitting around talking about all the great things that had happened that year. But more importantly, everything and everyone that we were going to miss once it was over. As I preach this sermon to an empty sanctuary this morning, I realize we all know too well what it means to miss everything and everyone. We do know what that feels like. Our scripture this morning even has a word for it, orphan. If you think about it, we live in a season of orphans. In this time of separation, when loved ones can't physically be with one another, we know what it feels like to be orphans right now. When you live life as an orphan, you have lots of questions. Anyone who has ever loved and lost knows the orphan's questions. What will I do now? Where do I go? What happens next? Who will love me, nurture and guide me? Who stands on my side? What will become of me? About once a year, my son Kirk used to delight in asking me a certain question. 
It was almost a ritual, but I never saw it coming. It, it would always start like this. Dad, can I ask you a question? He'd say in a very serious voice. And I'd answer, sure, ask away. And then the question would come. Am I adopted? I'm adopted, right? Please tell me that I'm adopted. Now, how I should have answered that question was, funny you should ask, because your mother and I were just discussing putting you up for adoption. <laughs> However, the discussion usually ended with me saying, have you ever looked at your parents? And if he still needed convincing, I'd show him one of Robin's baby pictures held up next to one of his baby pictures, just in case there were still any doubts. Jesus answered the question like this, I will not leave you orphaned. That is Jesus' promise. Regardless of the circumstances of our lives, storms, death, separation, you have not been nor will you ever be orphaned by God. How strange that must have sounded to the disciples. The good news is the promise extends beyond the disciples. It says, whosoever ha has my commandments and keeps them loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. I will not leave you orphaned. At some point, we all want or even need to hear those words. They speak directly to some of our greatest fears and challenges. Abandonment and isolation, loneliness, vulnerability. They remind us that we are not destined to walk this earth without an identity or direction. We do not stand alone. And lest we forget, Jesus followed, I will not leave you orphaned with these words. I'm sending someone else, a helper, a companion, the Holy Spirit. Something so convincing, so empowering must have charged up those disciples in order to bring them out of hiding and out into the world around them. It had to be the Holy Spirit. Now, I doubt any of us have ever heard a commencement speaker promise to send someone else to guide and empower the graduates in the speaker's absence. But here is Jesus in his commencement address promising to send the Holy Spirit to be his presence in his physical absence. We don't talk about the Spirit much. We say it a lot every time we utter the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we don't talk about the Spirit and except maybe on Pentecost. Are we afraid of the Spirit? Too unpredictable? Is it because there are no pictures of the Spirit? We think we know what God is like. We have a pretty good description of Jesus. At least we know what he said and did. But the Spirit? Can we claim something that resides in here? Is kept in our hearts as real? That there is something guiding us each day that others can't see, but it is helping us to know how and when to love others. Calling us to do the right thing in the name of love, even when the right thing isn't easy. The Spirit is in us, Jesus says. And if you're like me, you've heard the Spirit at certain times and in certain ways, and well, you've chosen to ignore it. 
knowing full well that the conversation going on in your head at that moment is between you and God. Because there's no way that you would ever have that kind of conversation between yourself and yourself. It had to be the Spirit. But fear, or your calendar, or whatever seemed to be more important at the time, got in the way of doing whatever it was the Spirit was telling you to do. Why do we complicate it? He said, believe in God, believe also in me. Love God, love neighbor, love self. That's all we were ever asked to do by Jesus. This is how they will know you are my disciples, by your love, by your love. It's what makes us different, sets us apart. But he never said we'd have to do it alone. Disciples are not orphans. Alice McKenzie said it like this. Commencement speeches often keep us at a distance from listeners, waving from the porch as the graduates drive away into their futures. Good luck. Stay in touch. We hope you turn out well. But Jesus' commencement speech shows us that God is not too big to come into the house of our fears, our dreams, our futures. God is not too big to help us struggle with the mysteries and tragedies of life. God sends the Spirit to support our godly goals and to claim our troubled souls. To the class of 2020, the church needs you right now more than ever. We need you using your gifts, doing ministry in this community, not someday after college or after you've worked for a while, but now. We need your help in thinking outside the box, showing us how to communicate with the world around us. And most importantly, we need you reminding us how and who to love. Because sometimes we forget. Keep us in your hearts, and we promise to do the same. And to all the people of God, here's what I keep hearing the Spirit say to us today. This weird Easter season that we're in the middle of right now is our commencement. It's the start of something new. So what is the Spirit saying to you? In the name of God, our creator and redeemer, Jesus, our brother, who showed us how to love and made the ultimate sacrifice that we might have life. And the Holy Spirit, who inspires us, speaks to us, and guides us each day. Amen. Each week after the sermon, we've been sharing the peace of Christ with one another. So I know if you're seating seated close to someone, you can do that with them. But I also encourage you now to reach